0: So we go today to the same text, Romans chapter 12, if you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and then if you're able, I would also ask you that you would stand for the reading of God's word, only two verses, verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated. So as Pastor Pine already introduced, the sermon is a continuation of what we started last week, a quest for God's will. That was the goal for last sermon, to understand how to make a decision, how to go about our lives knowing that we are doing God's will. And if last, last Sunday we were looking at the more active aspect of doing God's will, where as we talked about and looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 2 especially, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That was the way we learned that we find God's will. is through study of scripture, his revealed will to us, that we ought to study, dig into it, and learn how to do all things in this life for God's glory. We learn that through his word. And we saw that the more we study the Word of God and we fill our minds with the Word of God, that's how the Spirit brings that Word, applies that Word to our hearts, to our spirit, and renew our hearts so that we can live now, not according to this world, but we can be shaped according to the mind of Christ Himself. So, if last week our task was to understand how to make a decision, Today, I want to go to the more passive aspect of doing God's will, which is resting in His providence. So if last Sunday, the challenge was to understand, okay, I have a decision before me. I have to decide which car to buy or which house to buy. Maybe there is a new opportunity in my career and I can change the the direction of what I'm doing. Or maybe what person should I marry? All those questions come to our lives. And we come to scripture, we go to scripture to find the answer for all those things. But now, here's the issue for today. Let's say that you do all of this. You search through the scriptures. You dedicate yourself to learn what God says about that issue you're going through. You meditated upon it. You prayed biblically, asking that God would give you insight to make that decision faithfully to him. You even ask for advice. Maybe that's something... We didn't really spend time last week, but in Proverbs eleven fourteen says, in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And that's why we have the church and the community. We circle ourselves with Christians and people who also read their words, the word, read the word of God and pray, so that now we can have all the insight of God's will to our lives. We, we seek insight and we make a decision. We make a decision. We buy a car. We buy a house. We marry someone. And here's what happens. Everything goes well for a couple weeks and then the car breaks down. The house you bought, now you learn that they're about to build like a shooting range right behind your house and it's going to be noisy all day. I, at first I was going to say a shopping mall, but we're in North Idaho, so a shooting range fits our context a little better. And Or you marry this person and you thought it was going to just be a dream and a paradise. And in a couple weeks, things are not as perfect as you thought. There is a lot of Adjust, adjustment to d- be done in the way you think in the way you live your lives and what is the question that comes to our head we started doubting what decision we made we did our decision based on scripture but now we're thinking I must have done something wrong I don't think I did God's will because we have this this misunderstanding that if we had done God's will if we, were, if we are walking by the spirit of God everything has to run as smoothly as possible and what I want to show to us, bring to us this morning, is that the Bible actually talks a lot about God's will, including suffering, including trials, and not only because of our sin, but that's just the nature of the Christian life. For a God, well, because of the sin nature we have God is renewing and reshaping the way we think and the way we do things using all these things under his sovereign control so that we can mature and grow in our faith just think of Paul the life of Paul the example we have in scripture one that we should follow as long as he followed Christ his life was filled with trials you find several lists of trials he went through in his life it's interesting to think of it even of in the Gospel of Luke, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you go to Luke chapter 3, you read about Jesus' baptism. And it says that the Holy Spirit uh, descends upon Him. He is baptized. And if it wasn't enough to know that He is the sinless Son of God, God Himself speaks from the, from the sky and says, and, and everyone hears this voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's no sin in him. God is absolutely pleased by all that he was doing. And yet, what happens right after that? You're reading Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in the Spirit in the wilderness. The Spirit takes him to the wilderness. And then he's tempted by the devil in the desert. And then Luke 4, 14, right after that, says that Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee and report and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So the same spirit that leads Jesus to the desert to be tempted is the spirit that leads him to his ministry, that empowers him to preach, to do all that he uh, was uh, told to do by by God the Father and he is doing all of this trusting in God's providence. Understand that it's not because now he's being tempted. And things are getting difficult. That he's outside God's will. And that's the confidence I want us to have. In the word of God. That we trust the word of God. We make a decision. And now as trials come. We don't look back and feel sorrow for our, feel bad for ourselves. Because things are not going well. But now we face those difficulties. According to his revealed will again. And that's the life of the Christian. A life that faces suffering pain and whatever comes for the joy set before us in the hope of having the hope of what is better than just things running smoothly in this life which is a character it's truly becoming glorified and, and going forward to what Christ wants for us so a couple of texts to look at that first Peter is one of the best places I believe we can go to talk about suffering and first Peter. Peter three seventeen it says for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil and again this is not suffering because you have committed a sin there are times in our lives that suffering does come to our lives because of sin and the Bible calls us to evaluate ourselves to, to check ourselves see if we're in sin. And if we are, we need to repent and turn from our evil ways and turn to God where we can always find mercy and repentance to anyone who comes to him with a broken, contrite spirit. But the word is also tell us that God uses these things for the benefit of his children. Matthew five eleven and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This world is fallen. People will come in the same way that they come after came after Jesus to destroy his ministry and try to kill him and stop him from doing what he was doing. People will do that against anyone who stands for the word of God. And we ought to stand faithful to God in those times. In the last text, i'll read comes from first peter 5 10 where he says and after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace the god of all grace which means he has the power he has all grace in his hands and he can pour that grace in your life so even the suffering you're receiving is from his grace the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen establish you and that's the God we serve the God that we can trust we can trust his providence we can trust that as we follow his word he is faithful to do in our lives whatever we need so that we can grow in our faith patience long-suffering all those things are described in scripture as fruit of the Holy Spirit we see that in Galatians 5 so for the rest of our time this morning what I want to do is go through a little bit of what we call in theology the doctrine of God's providence, and we'll go into different places in Scripture to find the uh, explanation for these things. But the doctrine of God's providence—what is it, and how this, how can this doctrine help us to make a decision and now trust God, understanding that He is truly in control? Uh, We'll see this here. So God, His providence means that He has a plan to everything we see. All reality. Every single thing, greater or small, that's part of your life. You can think of last week. You can think of yesterday. You can think of the things that are about to come this week. Everything is under His control. God's providence is, uh, to put it in a simple way, is the active outworking of of God's sovereignty, the fact that He is sovereign implies that everything that happens is under His control, and because He is perfect, He's using all these things for His glory. To say that in a negative way, and I believe most Christians would agree with this statement, is to say that there is no such thing as chance, luck, or fate. As Christians, that's what we believe: that there is no such thing as luck. When we roll a dice, yes, we we call that chance in the sense that that's in our eyes that's what it looks like but we know that at the end of the day God is the one establishing every single thing. Proverbs 16:33 The lot is cast into the lap but it's every day decision is from the Lord. This is the, the doctrine of providence is one of those doctrines that it's easier said than understood. <laughs> Easier said than understood. It's easy for us to say, yeah, there's no chance. God is in control of all things. But do we really look at everything in our lives through these lenses? And do we really understand the depth of this doctrine? To, to paint that picture, to bring to us a little more of this idea of what God's providence is, I will read a paragraph from a commentary on this verse in Proverbs 16 that the lot is cast into the lap, but It's every decision is from the Lord. It says, A roll of dice, which would be the rough modern equivalent of the ancient practice of casting the lot, seems to have a totally random result. But this is not so. The result of the roll are exactly what the Lord ordained. But of course, for God to get the the result of the dice he ordained, lots of things have to happen. It has to be thrown with just the right amount of force. Too much and the dice will tumble past the ordained number. Too little and it might not tumble at all. So God has to regulate the dice throwers' arm to get the result he wants. What if there is a slight breeze or the dice are being thrown under an air conditioning van? Well, in either case, the force of the air is going to play a part, however slightly, in the outcome of the dice roll. That is something else for the Lord to direct in order to get His chosen outcome. But the movement of the air is related to the temperature of the room, which is related to the movement of the air molecules, which is determined by the atoms in the molecules and its subatomic particles. They have to move in just the right way to create just the right temperature, to create the conditions necessary for the dice to give the number the Lord has chosen. And this is just a vast oversimplification of this hypothetical scenario. You could keep going with this. And I hope you can get the picture of how vast is the idea of the providence of God. One single thing out of place, out of God's control could master the whole plan. And yet we know the promises of God and we know that he is bringing all things to his purpose according to the counsel of his own will. Which, by the way, is perfect, is just, different than our own ideas of, of good and, and, and bad and sometimes having to fight to make the right decision. And we miss the point of doing what is right so many times. God uses even the evil from our lives. Even the, the, the times we mess up not doing what He has commanded us to do. He uses all of that to bring to completion His perfect good will. God created all things. He governs all things. He's actively involved in the world, and that's a huge thing as well, the fact that he's involved. He's not the God of deism that just created all things well and then gave rules so that the world could run according to those rules, but he is close to us. He's a God who is near. As we read in Acts seventeen twenty-eight, 28, uh, when Paul is speaking in the Areopagus, he says, In him we live and move and have our being. He's not far from any of us. The German theologian Hermann Bavinck has a really interesting phrase on talking about God's providence. He says in his work, The Wonderful Works of God, the maintenance of God's providence, which is usually taken as the first activity of providence, is not a passive supervision. The point is not that God lets the world exist, but that he makes it exist. Do you see the difference? We own God, not only the fact that we were created in the first place, it would be not only impossible for us to exist in the first place, but it it would be also impossible for us to stay alive and to stay existing, if that makes sense, apart from God. He is the one who not only created and let us live now, but He sustains every single aspect of our lives, great and small. That's the God we serve. Amen. In Psalm 139, when David says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we can also affirm that we are fearfully and wonderfully sustained. Every single moment of our lives is about God's glory and God showing to us His purpose in this life. Hebrews 1, 1, 1.3, God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, upholds the universe by the power, by the word of His power. We own God, all we are, all that He has done In our lives. Nehemiah 96, and that's the last quote for this section. You are Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. That's the God we serve. He not only created all things, He not only made all things, but He also preserves those things. So that they can exist for his purposes. And to bring to completion. The perfect plan he has. For his glory and for the joy. Of his beloved children. If you think about it. In the very. When we think of our lives. There's so many things that. We. Sometimes get angry or maybe frustrated. Because they seem so meaningless. (laughs) Think of last week especially if you're let's say you're home with your kids and you have to do you know change diapers and you have to cook dinner once again and then you have to sweep the floor and help the kids with the homework play that same game that your grandkids are always asking for the 20th time and it seems like those things are just come on again do I really have to do this do I really have to spend some time scratching this and cleaning this again or you go to work and you have to work that weekend again, some extra hours hours, because you have to pay the mortgage or pay the bills, whatever it is. Answer another phone call. Those things are part of our lives. And so many times you start looking at them as, I'm not really accomplishing anything here. What am I doing in my life right now? But the truth is that God, in His perfect wisdom, in His perfect power, He could have created any reality, any reality that He wanted in His mind. And this, the reality you live in, is the one He chose. And by definition, because of God's character, because because of God's character, this is the perfect reality who could ever live. So even those little parts of your life now, as you do those things, understanding the sovereignty of God, understand that you are there for a reason, there is value to any of those simple activities. There is value to those things because God Himself has established them and has sustained you during those moments. So that you can do them. For his glory. And that's. The providence of God. Which is part of our daily lives. It's every day. It's every time. Every hour. Every minute. Every second. There's nothing we do. Outside. God's providence. And everything. Should be done. For his glory. Romans 8.28. The context here is of course. Huge. But he says. Paul says. And we know that. For those who love God. All things work together for good. For those who are according to called according to his purpose all things great and small things that we that seem trivial and things that seem like they would change world history all those things are included good and evil god is using all those things to accomplish his great purpose romans 11:26 for from him through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever so there is value in what we do. There is uh, value in the little things of life. And to help us understand how these trivial little things we do truly carry value. And actually, though we cannot see, God uses those little things of our everyday life to bring to completion and to bring mm-hmm. to fruition the great things that happen in history. Here's how Dr. Robert Rothwell uh, writes about it he says choosing what you will have for dinner fish or chicken is not inherently sinful nor inherently righteous nevertheless the choice we make in even such an apparently insignificant matter has ramifications for the kingdom that we cannot fathom and again he's trying to get at this idea that God's providence is an everyday reality it's there for everything we do so a choice between A football team that you like or a choice to go to a restaurant of this other restaurant on a Friday night. All those things, they seem like they're just trivial questions, trivial decisions. But I I like the way he shows here, even though it's it's a hypothetical scenario, how those things can. And they, I believe they do mean a lot in history. He continues talking about this idea of choosing chicken or fish for lunch or dinner. He says, he may, for example, as you pick one of those, play a part in creating an allergy in a future descendant who then chooses to go not to the seafood restaurant, but to the coffee shop where he meets the local girl who loves the shop's coffee and eventually marries her. And they give birth to the influential evangelist, judge, or president who shapes world history. And just think, the parents of this this leader never would have met if their more remote ancestor had chosen chicken over fish or vice versa. I really like this quote. And this is true about everything we do in our lives. We, we can't fathom, we can't understand how God uses all these things, but everything we do in our lives has implications. And as we trust now, not only in logic or, or, or science, but also in the word of God, we believe that God is blessing us as we do as we live according to his word. And that's an encouragement for us. That as we choose chicken or fish. And do those decisions. Make those decisions. According to his word. For his glory. Out of thanksgiving. Thinking of his grace. And all the things that we talked about last week. God is using all those things to shape us. And that may imply suffering. That may imply things that we can't understand for a season. But his ultimate plan is for, of course, our blessing. The blessing of his people. Everything happens for a reason. And God arranges. The reason everything happens for a reason. Is because God. Arranges all things to happen. For a reason. Now. We. Talked about the providence of God. We understood the magnitude. Of this doctrine. This understanding. Of how God is in control. Of all things. And He has to be, for He is God. And now, one of the great benefits of studying Scripture is how the Bible not only gives us, as we saw last week, the indicatives, the theology, what we need to understand about God, Christ, salvation, who He is, what He has done for us. But then He brings the imperatives, which are the application of those things to our lives, therefore live a certain way. And the Bible also brings to us several ways we can test ourselves and see if we are really living according to true faith in him and who he is so as a means of application this morning there are several things we could draw from the doctrine of providence but i want to focus on one of them which is prayer i truly believe that you can ask yourself you can see in your life how much do i pray how much when i need to get something done do i rely on praying and asking that God would bless me and God would be the one helping me as I go about this task. And the reason I say this is because if we truly understand the providence of God. And if we truly understand that he is the one in control of all things in our lives. You would also understand that the most powerful thing you can do about anything is pray. Pray. It starts with prayer. Of course, we don't just pray and just wait for God to do everything. We, we know we're recommended to be in action at all times. There are so many things we ought to do in the Christian life. But it starts depending on God in prayer. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is always waiting to bless His children. And as James says also in chapter 4, sometimes we do not have because we don't ask. God is there. He is in control of all things. And He wants to bless His children. He's using all things for good. And so many times we don't receive because we don't ask. Here's what John Calvin says. And I think it's a great quote. It will not suffice simply to hold that there is one God who all whom all ought to honor and adore, unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good and that we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. No drop will be found either of wisdom and life or of righteousness or power or rectitude or of genuine truth which does not flow from him and of which he is not the cause. God is the cause of all good things. The Bible is clear. In Him, there is light. In Him, there is life. And because of our sin, darkness came into the world and death came into the world. And now if you want to find life and light, He is the source of all those things. And there's no way you can find it outside Himself. So depend on prayer. Whatever it is, if you're asking for food or drink or clothing or good relationships, if you're asking that God would bless the church, and that we would be filled with His Spirit. All these things, there are things we can do. We minister the Word. We, we go, we talk to people. We love each, uh, one another according to Scripture. But everything starts asking for God's blessing to us, to our families, to our relationships. That He would give us what we're seeking. For He is the one who owns all things. Psalm 104, 28. When you give it to them, they gather it, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. God is the one who gives. John 3.37. This is John the Baptist. He says, a person cannot receive one thing, even one thing, unless it is given him from heaven. John the Baptist, the man that was, was commanded by Jesus as the greatest who ever lived until that generation. Psalm one twenty-seven, one and 2. This is maybe the most well-known uh, psalm. From Solomon. And and think about it. Solomon is the wisest man. who ever lived in Israel. Right? We talk about Solomon. The wise man. And when you think about planning something. If you want to get something done. a, A wise man will be the person to go talk with. Okay what do you think we should do? That's a good plan. Let's do according to what you're saying. Solomon is that man. And Solomon is the one who says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep this is Solomon, the man with all the riches the man with all the wisdom and he's saying all the wisdom i have all the riches i have all the power i have is nothing unless god blesses me unless god is for me and that should be the reality Of any Christian who understands the sovereignty of God and the providence of God in his life. What a blessing would be if all Christians, if we could truly grasp the idea of God's sovereignty. The idea of God's providence. And live according to that. And live according to the humble heart that that would mean. A heart that understands that we are powerless. That we are helpless unless we are with the Creator. Now... I will draw this sermon to a conclusion with one last thought. And the, th- the thought is this. If there's one thing we learn from the doctrine of providence, is that God is God and we are not. As cliche as it may sound, God is God. He is the Almighty and we are not. And in His grace, though we make so many mistakes in this life, we know what we ought to do. We know we have His word. We have been commanded to obey and to find His will through His word, and we don't. But through our weakness, He reveals to us His strength and His great plan. Through our lack of wisdom, He shows us His perfect and great knowledge. He is God, and we know that, as it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? All things are working together for the life of the Christian. But here is the tricky part. The providence of God always teaches the opposite. For anyone who has not trust in Jesus Christ. If you were here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have not repented from your sins and acknowledged his lordship. That he is king of kings. That he is lord of lords. And that the only way you can find life is through him. This text is also true about you, in the sense that there is absolutely nothing that can shield you from His wrath. Jesus Christ is the only way, He is the only door, He's the only path to salvation and to a relationship with with the true God. And apart from Him, all that you have will be taken from you in the last day. doesn't matter what you're doing in this life, doesn't matter if you think you're doing some good or helping someone or, or whatever you may do to clear your conscience. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And the greatest work of providence we see in history is that God, in the climax of history, sent His Son to die for sinners who could not provide for themselves, like you and I. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, So that we might receive adoption as sons. And now as it says in John 10. For each verse for everyone who believes and proclaims. And confess the name of Jesus Christ. He says I give them eternal life. This is from John 10. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. A true understanding of God's providence will lead us to rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus, understanding that all those trivial things in our lives changing diapers, sweeping the floor, working the extra hour, working in the yard, all those things are being used by God, and all the implications, all the ramifications of those things that God is using to build his church, help his people to get to the last day, the climax of history, or all those things will work together for the glorious end, which is the last day when the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from all the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And in that day every knee will bow. And in heaven and on earth and under earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For the glory of God the Father. That's the last day. And all things that we do. Are working, being worked together by God in His providence To take us to that moment. Let's pray. Lord we come before you. Understanding our weakness. Understanding who we are before our Creator. Understanding that all that we have, we own to You. And we pray that this morning, uh, we would humble ourselves before You, Lord. As we meditate upon Your power, upon Your grace, upon Your goodness. The way You work all things together through Your Son to bring history to the final moment where all things would be made right. And then glory will reign forever in heaven with all the saints. We look forward to that day and we pray that we would trust your promises. And we would trust that your work even today in our lives is not in vain. But is something you're working in us. Helping us in deliverance from the presence of sin even today. So that we can experience the glory of heavens that you have prepared for us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to love our Savior. Help us to love your word and depend on you in prayer and in the counsel of your will in all that we do. And we pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.